I said, what is the most beautiful story about my work, about my parenting, about my children, about my marriage? And when I wrote the answer to that, it give, gave me immediate clarity on who I am and what I want and my best case scenario. Welcome to The Good Life, Andrew Lee in Conversation, a podcast about living a happy, healthy and ethical life. In this podcast, we seek out wise men and women who have lessons to teach us about living life to the full, with humour, pleasure, meaning and love. We'll chat with musicians and athletes, CEOs and carers about making the most of this one precious life. If you like this podcast, do take a moment to tell your friends or give us a rating. Now, sit back and enjoy the conversation. If you've ever thought about making a donation to someone in need, then perhaps you should turn to the Give It website. Founded in 2009 by Juliet Wright, uh, Give It has helped to uh, auspice uh, more than a million donations. Uh, it is a platform used in disasters, but also used in regular times, a kind of a virtual warehouse. I first profiled Juliet Wright uh, along with Nick Terrell in our book Reconnected and particularly admire her energy and her discussion of the vulnerabilities and challenges uh, of being a non-profit leader. Uh, she is Australia's 2015 uh, local hero uh, and somebody who I greatly admire. Juliet, thanks so much for taking the time to join me on the Good Life podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really honoured. So how did Give It start? So Give It started in 2009. I had a baby boy called Hudson and I got given all these gorgeous, gorgeous clothes that he never wore because he got a bit fatty boom boom. And so I decided that I wanted to give them to charities uh, or a charity in my local area. And I had to ring lots and lots of charities to be continuously rejected. None of them wanted the baby clothes. And they did say, that they already had a huge amount of baby clothes that had been given from Salvos and Lifeline. And um, I said, well, what do you need? And the answer was always surprising and always fascinating to me. And I remember when a charity for children said they needed closed-toe work boots, I was really confused. And I said, why? And they said, well, the family's homeless because the husband's lost his job. And if we got him a pair of closed-toe work boots, that we'd be able to get him work on the roads. And that's when I realised simple items can make a massive difference to people's lives, pull people out of poverty, and also charities don't have a warehouse full of stuff for a rainy day. And so I started Give It in the hope that charities could request whatever they needed for their clients. And um, now we've just about to hit 3.8 million donations and we have close to 4,000 charities across Australia utilising the model. And less than a year after you'd launched, you, uh, you suddenly turned to uh, give it into uh, a massive giving platform uh, for the Queensland floods, didn't you? Tell us about how that affected the organisation. Well, um, because of necessity, because I was still matching donations awkwardly through the system, because what happens is charities can request whatever it is they want. So they want a TV or a bike for a woman who um, can't get to you know, the train. And so the charity would request it. And so, you know, a few weeks into Give It, there was a list of what was needed, but people wanted to give what wasn't on the list. And so I was manually donating their household items <laughs> and matching them to charities. And so the, the virtual warehouse was born. 
And it was up running for about three or four months where charities could log in, see what was in the virtual warehouse, find what they needed, but if they couldn't, they could request it. And that's when in 2011, the Anna Bly, the Premier of uh, Queensland at the time, asked that Give It would be the partner of choice to manage all offers of goods and donations in Cyclone Yassi, which was just devastating to like over 30 local shire councils, which was just devastating. And um, we did the little engine that could um, managed. I think we did 33,000 donations in just over three weeks, but that was why I got the Local Hero Award because all of my volunteers at the time were on holidays. <laughs> so I had to do Oh, things. my gosh. Now, look, I ended up recruiting a lot of help and we ended up doing 45,000 donations for those affected. Now, like I just say now we're doing 200,000 donations for events and like we're now the national partner for New South Wales and we're the lead agency in the New South Wales floods. And we've already done tens of thousands of donations, of course, in that. And, um, and we've changed the model a bit. Now, now we don't actually necessarily ask people for their microwave for someone who's in a drought-affected town or a flood-affected town. We ask them to help us buy it so that we can purchase it and we can support the local economy at the same time. So in the last eight months alone, we've spent $3.7 million in drought and rural affected communities on donations. And so um, we're making sure that donations don't do any harm as well. So what's so fascinating to me about the Give It Origin story, Juliet, is that you're, you're not somebody who had a background as a social worker. Uh, you didn't have a, a, an MBA. Uh, you weren't somebody who had uh, had had, wor had experience in technology, and let and yet you set up this uh, this technology platform uh, that just went from strength to strength. Uh, what made you think you could do it? Uh, I don't know why I've got such a dog on the bone kind of. I'm going to do it well. I, I don't know if you know, but I actually failed building the website a few times. So I, <laughs> I, 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 I raised $500. And remember, I had two kids under two at the time. So I was, mm. and I raised $500 by basically putting my husband, who's <laughs> a beef grazier on a, on, <laughs> on a vegetarian diet with shakes trying to save money. Anyway, I raised $500 <laughs> to seconding money for groceries. And, um, and then that flopped. So the, the guy that I gave the money to just couldn't build this donation portal. What was wrong with him? And then I went to market and I found this place and, and I raised $800 and they said, oh, I promise you this time the website will be automatic. And I just wanted people to go to the website and if they see the microwave, then they click on it, they're going to donate it and then it drop off the list. And this lovely guy who I thought was in Melbourne with a gorgeous Indian accent said, Oh, no, no, it is automatic. You just have to log in and go into the back end and it'll automatically fall off the list. And I said, oh, mate, that is not automatic. And so I've, anyway, so I failed again. And I remember I was bathing the kids. Um, I had to go and bath the kids and I was bathing the kids and I was enraged, but I was trying to be happy mummy, you know, like that, oh, my God, I did it again. I can't do this. And then I remember... Um, pulling him out of the bath and I just was in the hallway and I'm going, I am going to ignore everyone who says I can't do this. This guy, I can't, I'm hearing I can't build a website. My mum and dad, my mum particularly, my husband, very concerned that I'm trying to build a donation portal and 
like it sounds really risky and everyone in the universe, all the signs are there that I shouldn't do this. Actually, all I didn't get any positive feedback whatsoever at that early stage. <laughs> and I decided, Andrew, to ignore everyone on the planet and all the signs from the universe. <laughs> and I went, stuff you all. I'm going to do it anyway. So um, I'm not superstitious. <laughs> so the universe has been okay with me so far. It's going well. <laughs> And uh, this is reflected too, isn't it, in the uh, the sign you've got on your desk? Uh, what would you do if you knew you could not fail? Uh, has that been a, a really important maxim for you? Yes. And my latest one is I can do hard things. Oh, that's going to be great to succeed. I'm, I can do hard things. I can do that. I can do hard things. So that helps. So, you know, you go, oh, that sounds hard. Um, what I do when I've got hard things, I always just do it a bit of an ecology check now with my family because often when I do hard things, that actually has issues that come from my other area of importance, which is my family. So if I'm doing something hard over here, that generally suffers. So now when I do hard things, I set rules around the timing around that hard thing. So I wish I could go back to my younger self and tell myself that. <laughs> Are there particular donations that have come in that have especially warmed your heart and kept you going? Oh, that's, you know, it's funny. Uh, people ask me my favourite donation story a lot and I have changed. I've got two, my two favourite donation stories, but my, I think my favourite is that there was a boy with his, uh, there was a young man. Um, I kind of I think he was in young senior, so six or seven year six or seven and um, he had come out with his brother and his mother from Eritrea and the charity requested a pair of football boots for this boy and it was a lovely simple story boy requires football boots doesn't have um, any to join so can't join uh, the charity will help him get the club fees together so it was a lovely story and obviously some mum dad donated the football boots and um, he received them and I got this story it came through from the from the volunteer who was managing that charity at the time and said that that boy ended up being an actual football star and within a day mm. of getting those boots he had a team he had a coach he had a community and he was no doubt had a huge number of fans and a team and i even extrapolate in about 2 weeks time later he probably had a girlfriend like he was a superstar so imagining <laughs> that small pair of football boots just opening that whole family up to a beautiful community where they gathered two or three times a week to train and play and compete and um and everyone was so proud of him within a day you know so simple things make a massive difference to people's lives my other donation story was impactful to me because it completely made me let go of judgment. So that's big because um, I would often go through the list of what's needed on the website charities would put up and I would say, oh, that sounds a bit like an I want rather than an I need for that person. And so like I had a filter like that where I just made sure people got what they needed. Anyway, a boxing bag had come up for a mother in Western Australia and I was, hmm. I'm not sure if that's an I want. I think that's an I want. I want a boxing bag at the back. 
Anyway, so I went to my Western Australian volunteer and I said, oh, I think we should take that down. Anyway, she came back saying, no, this is a really good charity and this is a really good social worker. She, she just hasn't told us the truth, the big story. And I said, okay, okay. See how much power I have, Andrew. Everybody just supersedes my ideas. <laughs> and um, anyway, I got, I got a message from the charity from the mother who said, thank you so much for the boxing bag. I have received it um, a couple of weeks ago. And since then, my boys have been using the bag and they have not hit me once. <gasps> wow. So I just went, right, charities from now on can tell us what they need and what it looks like they want and uh, I will leave it uh, to them to tell us the story but I will no longer judge those items. Now, look, if there's a, you know, (laughs) what's an essential item? You know, so like an essential, a non-essential item for me is my beautiful iPod or my iPhone but an iPod or an MP3 player is an essential thing for a boy or girl with schizophrenia you know it just keeps the voices out of their head so what's Mm. an essential item for me might be non-essential for someone else so I'm leaving it to the social worker Uh, we have over 5,000 registered across Australia and I'm just going to leave it to them to be honest with us it takes them a couple of minutes to make that request they're not doing it for nothing they're doing it because it's important so I trust them and for anyone who uh, wants to get a flavour of what you do, it is just extraordinary to go to giveit.org.au and just have a look at what requests are out there. Uh, I remember uh, when I flicked, flicked onto it recently, there was a request for a chicken coop for a facility supporting teens with mental illness, a ride-on lawnmower from a farmer who just uh, just lost everything. I know you've auspiced uh, donations of a wheelie walker for a rehabilitation centre, teddy bears for young kids, uh, shampoo, uh, bicycles. There's just uh, an, an, it's a real tapestry of the the needs that uh, that communities have. Yeah, and you know, don't make light of the teddy bears because that's probably for children at Westmead Hospital who are recovering from cancer and surgery and something else. So. Um, yeah, it's just such a beautiful variety of different things that communities need. But then there's the flip side. It's funny when you said that list, I got sad because people cannot afford what they need anymore. Um, cost of living and anyway, thank God, thank God the give it is there and there are ways for charities to request these essential items um, because it's, and I'm really glad that I did it because um, it is now, the way that charities across Australia are making sure that they get those urgent individual grants met. met. They don't have to go to arduous <laughs> fundraising, sausage sizzles to raise those items now. And we can connect the people who've got stuff underneath their stairs, the haves with the have-nots in a really easy way. So one of the things that struck me about uh, my dealings with Givet is that that all the people I've met at Givet seem to be um, quite like you uh, in the sense of just having that that extraordinary sense of uh, optimism but also to be really organized and uh, and and re- really really positive how do you go about attracting really good staff and volunteers to the organization I think the only thing I've ever done right in recruiting is finding people that always just seem to go above and beyond and I don't know is that a I don't know I never ask them do you go above and beyond um, I just, they always do. Um, 
How do you how do you interview people? I mean, we we know that in most cases interviews don't tell don't tell you very much. So uh, do you rely more on on references, or how do you how do you how do you vet people, and how have you put together such an impressive team? Rate them on one to ten on how enthusiastically they treat me. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, like every every business, there's like HR. You know what? You really want to demonstrate to the board, and you really want to demonstrate to people who didn't get the role, why they didn't get the role. Like I give people feedback about why they didn't get the role and I'm I'm a bit honest. Um, I think that when you can tell in a meeting, you you know, in an an interview, why do you want to join, give it and what appeals to you, a number of the people who come in will say your values are very similar to mine and that's just the language I speak and I will say, okay, you know, and I might go a follow-up, okay, so have you ever had a conflict in values, you know, and you can see they're really articulate and really knowledgeable about what their values are. And um, and you know that there's no BS there because they can articulate what their values are and um, when they've been competing priorities or something like that. So, um, and then of course, you've got to make sure that they can actually do the role. But like any employee, you know, we always put people on probation and make sure that they fit. And sometimes people haven't fit because, you know, we all go above and beyond and someone who doesn't go above and beyond quite quickly doesn't get, you know, promoted. (laughs) You know, everyone gets, anyone any good around here just gets promoted, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) How have you gone about forming your board? Um, How how have you uh, built that sort of cadre of trusted advisors? To me, it's always been what is the needs for the next three years. So in 2001, after we demonstrated that give it, the Give It model can do disaster recovery really well, um, I built a board of disaster brothers, which there wasn't a lot of women in disaster. This is 2011, you're saying? 2011, I got on the ex-director, Greg Goldbill, the ex-director of Queensland Red Cross of 13 years, Jim McGowan, the ex-director general of the Department of Community Safety, who had overseen a number of huge and catastrophic disasters hit the coast, including Yasi, and, you know, built up this board. Uh, I needed governance, really. You know, I needed all the policies perfected and things like that because I always wanted people to know that give it was always best practice. So I brought on a board that could support me for that. And now um, I'm finding that I need less of a transactional board and I need more of a transformational board. So I'm now bringing in dream people like I've always wanted the marketing manager of What If. Remember when What If was just a little Mm. Brisbane thing and then it went to global and then suddenly it was doing your whole holidays for you? I thought the marketing... I got the marketing manager of that. <laughs> uh, but I did you get just cold cold? I got it 10 years later, but I still eventually always get what I want. <laughs> so so that was somebody you just, you admired the business model and then you just uh, uh, found, found a way of getting in touch with the marketing manager? Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, well, we, you know, I just, you know, I can build a community of support. We can find them. Um but yes, I mean, it took me a while, but she's signed on last year. So um, now I've got, I'm building a board of transactional, but I've still got disaster, governance, transformational, but I think I'm going to be more moving more into transformational because give it essentially, I know it's doing good and it's all very hearty and yummy and it's doing such great work on, on to, and helping people's lives, but it is a digital platform. So, you know, and it's a digital platform that could even be more improved and more improved. So I need people who can help me do that because I'm still the feely 
Philly type. And, you know, I've, done, I've built seven websites, but I still cannot build one. <laughs> I need smarter people around me. So you're looking for people on the board who, who are different from you in that sense? Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking people who can help me build the Amazon of giving. Hmm. Hmm. And what about for you personally? Do you find that uh, in terms of trusted sources of advice that family and friends are enough or do you have formal mentors that you draw on? Both, but I would always come back down to myself quite quickly. Like I'll always ask people's advice, but if I wanted to do something, I would, I always call sleep on it. I would sleep on it. So if I had a major decision, I would sleep on it for a couple of days and I would, you know, talk to the kids about what would happen if I returned to going full-time and they all know full-time, full-time, like seven days a week. <laughs> and then they're saying, no, that's too hard. And then, okay, so if I say, then I would say, well, look, if I was to take on a bigger project, would that be okay if I only did it in school hours, that being from, you know, eight till four? And they said, no, eight till 310 so you know we do that kind of negotiation <laughs> now and then my husband's like you know so what does that mean for us and you know and I say well you might have to fund me for a while as a volunteer for a while I don't know so there's all those discussions and then of course um, I speak to my board who I really trust and they also um, quite lovely always care about me as well so how's that going to work how are you are you going to cope you know, if you did that body of work, how is that going to be for you? You know, we don't want you, you've just because I've stepped back to doing 16 hours a week. So if I do take on a project within the business that, you know, I step up a bit, they're like, well, is that what you No, that's not what you wanted to do, remember? So they always do that different line of inquiry, which is really good. So it's always personal, isn't it? Hey, you want to, we want to achieve a goal, but how are you going to do that? How are you personally going to do that? So yeah, you're right. I filled myself with a whole community of people that care about people and care about me and care about each other, but always go above and beyond as well. So let's talk about uh, the challenges and some of the, uh, the, the setbacks that you've faced. Uh, in 2015, you had a, uh, a bit of a challenge with, uh, with finances, forgive it, didn't you? Uh, tell, us, tell us about that period. Well, I mean, no one signed on. Um, Give It was growing. Um, it was after the Australia Day Awards, you know, when I was getting all these accolades where I just couldn't finance the next year. There was just no money. And um, I think that's why I burnt out a few times during the Australia Day Awards because I really thought that that profile would give, give it this legitimacy and attract people to fund Give It. But, no, it didn't attract anybody. Like I had to do the hard leads, hard called, hard ask. It was tough and um, I just don't think I've ever been so terrified. Like you just, um, it's kind of like your baby's, well, it's like my third child, like was literally going to end its life, you know. So, you know, it's like I know that every small business person out there or every large business person out there who's ever started something, you know, it's scary, particularly in a not-for-profit where there's no product you know, we're just asking people to support our work and give it had never been done in the world before and we weren't a direct service provider and um, it looked like it was easy and just a click of a button. So, you know, why do you need this admin team? So, um, yeah, it was really challenging. I was really lucky IAG, Australia's biggest insurance group, rang me and I don't think they'd mind me saying, but they rang me and they said, hey, we're either going to build 
a give it version and replicate it or we're going to support you. And I laughed. <laughs> no, I laughed. I said, go ahead. It's the hardest thing. You could go ahead, do it. So hard. Go ahead. You do it. You do it. You know, I, I enjoy watching your journey. I'll be on your advisory board. It's going to be really hard for you to do that. And they went, oh, why is it going to be so hard? And I said, this, 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 this really hard. Even though you got money, it's still really hard. And then they said, oh, well, you know, we'll support you. And they, and they funded us and they kept us going and they have been an incredible provider. So really they considered us a startup at that point and a high risk venture. Anyway, now obviously we've got uh, service agreements and working partnership with all of the governments on the East Coast and um, from um, Queensland all the way down to ACT and um, they're really proud of us and uh, so they should be because um, I don't think Give It would be here without them. Yes, your, uh, your comparison with Amazon before kind of makes me think of how you've created something that looks very, very simple to uh, to the user. Uh, you know, I've done a, made a donation through Give It and it couldn't have been more straightforward. Uh, but clearly on the back end, there's a whole lot of complexities that you've managed to solve. Uh, I want to ask we you... Have someone to, to, we have two full-time people, uh, two full-time, two full days a week of just charity authentication, making sure that those charities are indeed charities. So... Yeah, and that's just one part of the big pie. So I'm fascinated by your decision in 2019 to take a significant break from running Give It. What led to that? Uh, it was my long service leave and I wanted to take some significant time off, particularly the last term of school. So I went off in September to really focus on the kids and making sure that I was that full-time mum and their grades went from like B's, C's to A's. Like they really, it was, it, that was really uh, enlightening for me. Um, and then I wanted to have a great Christmas break because as you know, most natural disasters hit Australia in the storm season between November mm. and January. So I wanted a storm to roll in and not be terrified that I had to leave my holiday or, or I had to leave my kids for three months, you know, so, and, and go work on that. But I also realised um, that, I was a little bit over being CEO and I look, I mean, it was a great honour and I love being CEO, but I was a little bit over the HR because we, you know, had over 20 staff and I was a bit over not being, I didn't want to be boss anymore. I know that that sounds really weird, but I love having conversations with people without an agenda. But when you're the CEO, there's no conversations without an agenda. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, there's not. You know, you can't have a conversation with someone from your admin team and talk about something because something they're going to pick up and they're going to go, oh, my gosh, she's going to sack me because she's making a change in the administration because, you know, I'll be just talking to her about, you know, making something automatic and she goes, oh, that's my role. And I might not have communicated it clearly enough, but anyway, two days later I, she comes in crying because she thinks I'm, and I'm like, well, I don't want to be that person anymore. Mm. <laughs> I just want to mm. I just want to be me. I just want to... Um, and I actually now work a contract, you know, I'm here with Give It and I work 16 hours a week, three or four hours a day. Absolutely love it. But what I feel like is I'm not doing, I'm not on the planet doing the rates and the rubbish like a mayor. I'm out and I'm off the planet and I'm securing funding and I'm building relationships and I'm doing television programs and, and I'm ambassador and I don't have to worry about making sure that the bins have been taken out and that, that we have enough dishwashing tablets in the office and I know it doesn't sound very hard, but I found CEO 
um, after 10 years, it was something that I wanted to do differently. I didn't want that level of responsibility when I returned and I knew who would take over my role. So I would have come back into CEO had I have not got the right person. But I'd been working with Sarah Tennant for over five years and she came in as Queensland Disaster Recovery Manager, became General Manager, Stakeholder Manager, and no one knew the business better than she did. You know, she knew it as, as I did. She was in government meetings, um, board meetings with me. She was by my side for five years. And, uh, and she had energy and enthusiasm and passion and, um, and a burning desire to take it to the next level. And so I said, yeah, and I'll help you. <laughs> and we make a good team. It's like the mutual admiration club. We both really like working with each other. You also uh, face that kind of founder's dilemma, right, at the 10-year point of, uh, of feeling that uh, if you don't hand on the reins, then in a sense the organisation becomes you. Uh, how, did you how did you think through those, uh, those sorts of issues of your identity and Givet's identity? Well, it was funny. During the Australia Day Awards, because I, I would always say give it in a we, but after the Australia Day Awards, they trained me to say give it I. And then after the Australia Day Awards, I had to say give it is a we. So we as a team do this. But during the Australia Day Awards, they had to say, no, you've done it. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Mm. And so um, by the time I got to 2019, I, I, just, I just honestly, Andrew, I just had competing priorities. I really needed to focus on the kids. No one tells you that the kids actually need you more when they get older. And I found out the hard way. Grades started to slip. I didn't notice that my son's handwriting had gone from great to really bad. Like, I, so, And then the other side of it is, is that if I was the only one who was going to be the, in the media, then you know, just say I wasn't available. People weren't, I didn't want them to associate the brand to me. I wanted it to be bigger than me. I, I, and, you know, I felt like it was like I had birthed it, but then I wanted to hand it over to the community and then the community raised the child. And I'm glad I did that because um, Sarah's built an executive team around her and she's a marketing, from a marketing and science background. And so she's built a team around her and they're just getting into donor analytics and all this amazing stuff that I just would never have thought to do. And so she's just going into data and optimising what's happening. And, I mean, sometimes we're doing, on average, 37,000 donations a week. So astonishing number. Astounding. So um, we've done, you know, 1.8 since August last year. So we're about to hit 3.8 million donations. So the system's working really well, but I am really glad I came out when I did. Um, I think that I was heading for a, a more than a, like I, I needed that long service leave. I needed longer than three months. I needed, uh, I needed two months just to stop thinking about give it. And then I needed a month to think about myself and get in back into yoga and then think about what my husband's needs were. And then we went traveling, went to Argentina and Noosa and um, did the most amazing holidays uh, that were Sundays. And, um, and I came back truly refreshed. Now, I'm not saying kind of refreshed. I came back really refreshed and came back and um, saw that Sarah had my planet running really well and I could step off the planet and I could help her with strategy and fundraising and raising the profile. And so far it's working out really, 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 really well, really well. I'm really happy. 
One of the things too that you've uh, written about is, uh, or spoken about, is is the uh, fact that sometimes you can make yourself too vulnerable as uh, as someone working with uh, really disadvantaged people. Uh, tell us the story of uh, visiting Grantham after the floods. Yeah, well, remember Anna Bly gave us the, um, you know, promoted, give it as the way to give items. And when I went to Grantham, there was such loss. Now, Grantham is the place that got all the actual uh, video footage because it was very dramatic, you know, literally in the dry middle town, you know, uh, lettuce, you know, green belt, um, a tidal wave of water came down where people had to go onto the roofs all of a sudden, like catastrophic. And, um, and I would go to that town, I went to that town about two or three weeks later and realised that Givet was responsible or I felt really responsible for making sure these people's lives got rebuilt. I didn't have the website that we had now. I didn't have the teams on the ground. And it was just me going in and seeing people who had just been absolutely devastated and were still very traumatised. And um, I went home and I couldn't move for three days. And here I was thinking that all I've got to do is work, work, work. But I just went home and I just cried for three days. I just... I just say I'm really I'm really happy that the way the Give It model has been born and, and works because the fact is that there are social workers that are doing that work with the recipients, the people who have been flood affected, uh, the mental health, disability people. Like I'm not that person. I'm better placed to go shake a tail feather and inspire millions of people to give to them. That's my role. And so I'm best not on the field. I'm best out there hanging out with lots of generous people and getting them, inspiring them to give to real and urgent need. And, um, and the social workers do a great job and they make the requests and they make the donation flow through the Give It website. But that's the best way, that's the only way that Give It would have been, would have worked. And, and it's funny, the model works. You know, the system works in the way that I designed it, but the, the system is built around the way I want to help and the way that I can and can't help effectively, though. <laughs> Bespoke Juliet Wright give it service there. <laughs> so economists would think of this as comparative advantage, uh, that it's really important for organisations to think about not just what they can do but what they can't do. Uh, and it sounds like you're envisaging that in, in your own role as well, uh, recognising what it is that you're not so good at doing and focusing your energies on what you're great at doing. Uh, did that take you a while to, to come to? Oh, I've always known to employ absolutely smarter people than me and I did that really well. <laughs> did I answer the question? Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean it's it's, it's also about uh, getting that uh, that complementary team around you and and having having the partners. Uh, and and how have you gone in more recent years with uh, with self-care as you've moved into this uh, 16-hour a week role? Yeah, I'm doing really well. Sometimes I even do Pilates reformer every day. Um, I do yoga twice a week and um, I am now on another board. So I've got a little bit of free time to do other stuff that's really interesting to me. And I um, am really focused on the kids. And, you know, I'm, everything I'm doing gives me energy back. So that's, I'm in a really great place. So when I was in CEO role, there was a lot of things I was doing and there was no, you know, it was just draining. But now everything I do, I seem to, you know, be in a good place. I am in a good place. And um, 
I also am understanding what actually gives me anxiety and what actually can ruin my life. And um, I realised last week I started having this rising anxiety and it got really, really bad. And I realised that competing priorities undo me, completely undo me. And so, you know, when you've got the kids, you know, there's a, they, need, they need this and then you've got work and they need this and then I've got this other board that I'm on and they need this and then my husband needs this. Oh, that's a big recipe for failure for me. I just, um, anyway, so it was really interesting. I realised that I need to not overcommit. I really need to not overcommit because I, I don't like the feeling of having too many things that I have to do. Um, and I look, I can handle busy periods and I can end, handle a lot of work. Like my inbox looks like a junk mailbox at the moment and I like it very clean. So I'm dealing, you know, I can deal with that. But um, I think that the break that I took, the long service leave break and not coming back into a CEO role has had a significant um, advantage for my mental health. Yeah, it's been really good. You're a former uh, uh, nutritionist. Uh, what, what do you what, what do you do that's differently different in terms of uh, how you eat from most people? Oh, I think um, I my I love a fruit breakfast. So I spend I'm ridiculous. I spend that twenty minutes um, dealing with the pomegranate and red papaya, and I love that breakfast. But sometimes I'll just have the biggest egg omelet you've ever seen, and then I just have meat and salad, meat and salad for the rest of the day. Um, so I'm a bit boring when it comes to eat. Oh, there's nothing Instagram worthy, I'm afraid there, but I do eat really healthy. I think my uh, my little pleasures, I absolutely love those dried uh, fig. No, no, they're not dried figs. The dates, you know, the majula mm. dates with almonds. I just, I just, I just have them placed strategically throughout my world. And uh, but don't think I'm all healthy. I get cravings for pizza from this uh, place. I don't know if I'm, am I allowed to say it? it's called Beccafino's in Brisbane. Oh my of god! Course. Anyway, so I I have to go there once a week, otherwise I don't get my 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 pizza hit, and you know so I have my indulgences like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> what other tips and tricks do you have for uh, keeping life under control? Now this is an odd one, and it works every time for me. I read a book called Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Oh, so good! I just finished it. Love it. So good. Um, she gets a bit mad at the end there, but I found the first, like, four-fifths of the book fantastic. Oh, my God. The best falling in love story I've ever come across in fiction or nonfiction. So good, isn't it? I love it. I love it. I, and I totally recommend that everybody read that book. Um, I have played chapters for my daughter that have been really relevant to her, but not the whole book. Um, but there is a chapter in there where she recommends that you write what is the most beautiful story about. And I was at a point where I had come back to give it and I was really kind of developing who I was. And actually it was a little while after. Um, and I said, what is the most beautiful story about my work? What is the most beautiful story about my parenting? What is the most beautiful story about my children? What is the most beautiful story about my marriage? And when I wrote the answer to that, it give, gave me immediate clarity on who I am and what I want and my best case scenario. So I have a, um, a story around my work 
And um, I read that whenever I feel like I might just be a bit off grid, I actually read that back to myself and it keeps me completely aligned. And that was maybe a year ago. Oh, no, it was in, yeah, it was in lockdown. Yeah. I've been going by my own mantra of what's the most beautiful story about my marriage, my work. And I've been, and it hasn't changed. And it is my story. And um, I, and it has made me the happiest I think I've ever been. It was funny. I know that sounds all very um, not true, but it is incredibly true. Me, since I've been writing stories about my most beautiful life, um, I've been the happiest I've ever been. Yeah, no, totally. I, um, Kevin Kelly just published uh, 99 pieces of unsolicited advice. And uh, one of his 99 is the simplest thing you can do to raise your happiness is a daily gratitude exercise. Um, but it sounds like yours wasn't just a gratitude exercise. It was also a focus exercise. Yeah, that's right. And kind of establishing my place in the world and in their world and in others' world. And forgive it, for example, I know <laughs> it, it feels like there's a planet and that I am like the star or a sun and I revolve around it and I just provide joy and happiness and inspiration and love to the people on the planet. So I come into the Give It office. I'm here today. Come into the Give It office and I'm just happy and I listen to them and then inspire them and, and, you know, and make them feel connected to the purpose again if they feel like that, you know, if they're not having the greatest day. And then I can leave the planet. <laughs> but also I'm like the sun because uh, I'm in a fundraising role and I'm on the board and so I'm in a strategic role. So I'm kind of setting the vision of where that planet's heading and, and how fast it grows and where it grows. And so um, my most beautiful story about my work at Give It is that I'm actually like the sun or a satellite and that I am revolving around what it is now. And so it's so funny. I know it doesn't make any sense to anyone else, but when I hear that, I go, oh, that's my role. And it can change, but that's what I'm doing now. And the same with my marriage and the same with my kids. I mean, it's been a year now and, and that story hasn't changed, but it's definitely going to change between now and when they're 50. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so uh, since you mentioned Glennon Doyle before, I want to ask you about another observation she makes in Untamed, which is that every philanthropist ult ultimately ends up an activist uh, if they truly engage with the problems that they face. Have you found yourself wanting to get more involved in uh, uh, um, po policy reform and engaging in, in sort of some of the big drivers of disadvantage uh, that you're, you're seeing? Or have you been comfortable staying in the philanthropy space? No, I have. I've actually just joined this uh, regional rural remote women's network for Queensland and because women who all over Australia and families that live remotely in, 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 you know, in regions um, outside of capital cities have a lot of disadvantage. And so it's very sad um, that they don't have access to the same healthcare, you know, domestic violence services, um, Wi-Fi. Like, I mean, we, the list goes on and on. So, yes, no, I am definitely extending that outside of Give It. And I think um, remembering that, Give It supports 4,000 charities and they all have different people that they support. So, no, I do still feel like Give It is the main channel in which that I actually do my philanthropic work. But there's a bit of a scoop. I would like to grow it <laughs> outside of the Australian region one day. And so I'm building a community of support of people who would help me do that. 
Well, I mean, I uh, interviewed on the podcast uh, uh, Andrew Bassett, one of the founders of Seek, and it's interesting that you know Seek is doing for jobs what you're doing for philanthropy, and uh, immediately they saw the potential to uh, to grow outside Australia uh, because nothing about the Seek model was essentially an Australia Australian product, and uh, they've been you know one of our one of our most successful uh, startups in uh, in going global. Yeah, well, and also, you know, give it's twelve years old now, and there's no competitors globally ever anywhere no one's done it so um maybe no one will and well if no one's going to do it and you know we've got a perfected model you know we've got a you know we've got a what do they call it trl technology level rating of nine because we've been doing multiple catastrophic disasters at the same time for a population of 20 million 25 million people so I know that if we were to go into other regions like New Zealand, that we had a provable model that actually works and we've ironed out all the bumps. You know, we know what you can and can't and donate and why. And um, we know what we do and don't do. And we've got huge success in terms of community recovery. And so um, I think it's a natural progression, but I'm just going slow, but it's a natural progression into um, supporting communities outside of Australia that don't get the aid that they require after a catastrophic or a small disaster or crisis or a, would, or a pandemic. And would you then look at uh, do, moving goods across international borders or would you basically look at uh, setting up givets that moved goods within particular countries? It would be connecting all the haves and all the have-nots everywhere. In short, wow. <laughs> I uh, certainly an Amazon-like ambition. Exactly uh, the Amazon of giving. It's, it, let me uh, wrap up, Juliet, by asking you a, a handful of standard questions that I ask all my uh, my interviewees. What advice would you give to your teenage self? Um, that was a really good question because it's changed for me. Um, I would not. I would say to myself, or don't worry. All the passions and the interests that you have right now seem all really disjointed and non-connected, but they will, as you grow into your career, they will interconnect. All the random things that would, which I was interested in actually now have a major play in my skill set. Everything from graphic design and commercial art to nutritional medicine to travel to studying leadership, that's all come about and um, it's all come together. What's something you used to believe but no longer do? I didn't think I could change uh, the world, <laughs> but now I do. <laughs> Have you? Uh, I, I say that giggling because uh, there's a certain amount of work that goes is going to go along with that. <laughs> it's not as easy as it sounds. Had had you as a child thought that you would you would be involved in uh, altruistic activities, or is that something that sort of came upon you uh, as as an adult uh, in that period after you'd had kids? I, um, I, I had a clue um, in my mid-20s that I would do something significant. I had a clue that I had it in me. Yeah. And were your parents uh, a part of that? They were both uh, medical practitioners, right? Oh, yeah. That, that was just so pleased that I landed on being a nutritionist because I had done so many different things <laughs> before I had actually settled on that. And then, of course, after the kids were born, I moved to go on again. But, you know, they say people have seven, you know, seven careers in a lifetime. I'm certainly I'm certainly up to my seventh. So that means I'm probably not going to move on. <laughs> 
What was the strangest career you did before you settled on a nutritionist? Uh, oh, well, I was a, uh, a baggage. My first job was that I was lifting baggage up at a hotel. I, um, and I loved hospitality, you know, pick up plates and, you know, meeting people. And then I did fashion illustration for six weeks, uh, graphic design and commercial art. I just couldn't find it. I couldn't find it. And then I found nutrition and I just went, oh, helping people, giving people exactly what they need, Andrew. That's when I went, I love nutrition because I'm not giving people this full shake. I never gave people the full milkshake of stuff, you know, hit and miss here. I'm sure that something you need is in that. I would give them specific nutrients, very specific, cost them $4 <laughs> and make sure that they got exactly what they needed. And so he's give it doing that, making sure people get exactly what they need. What a wonderful sort of uh, plethora of careers. It's a, it's a really interesting pathway yeah, you've taken. Juliet, when are you most happy? Um, I love being away from the computer and emails and forgetting that they exist. And I love being on our farm. So we've got three cattle properties and we're moving right down into the Wagyu breeding. And it's just such a beautiful place. It's a beautiful community. Um, everybody's helping each other and you're covered in poo and smell like cow poo and diesel. And um, you've got a ripped coat and it's really different from the work that I do. And it's still work, you know, I'm mustering or we're cleaning out the shed or, we're, you know, processing cattle. But you're in the moment and um, I'm really happy when I'm at the farm to the point where we're, when the kids finish school, we'll, we'll move to New South Wales to our Wagyu property and be farmers part-time. What, what's your favourite favorite thing to do when you're working on the farm? Uh, well, recently I've just got a new horse and I haven't, my horse died about four or five years ago, so I've been a bit reluctant to ride again and I have a new horse, so most certainly mustering on the horse. Because, you know, when you're mustering cows, you don't go fast unless they start running away, which they do. But most of the time you're just plodding beside them and looking at them and just, you know, being real slow and calm. What's the most important thing you do in your life to stay mentally and physically healthy? Oh, I love my Pilates because um, I do Pilates on the reformer and I love feeling long and strong and I do yoga twice a week as well. So I really am in, you know, just being in that moment stretching i love all that i'm more kinesthetic you know i'm not the jogger i'd look ridiculous jogging anyway people would laugh at me run me over <laughs> they would <laughs> oh stop it for the sake of the planet you look ridiculous <laughs> you've got a farm it seems like the perfect spot to be running but you know i, I suppose i come at this from a different perspective i'm um, running after cows i suppose yeah <laughs> do you have any guilty pleasures oh pizza gotta have that pizza What's your favourite type of pizza? Uh, margarita with ham. So I, I haven't quite got it right. And then oh, I like very simple. Rocket, yeah, rocket salad on the side. And maybe a bottle of wine, a nice Pinot Noir. Maybe I like, there's some nice ones coming out of the Yarra Valley. And uh, Tazzy is doing some amazing Pinots now. And, um, you know, I'll take a Central Otago Pinot as well. And finally, Juliet, uh, which person or experience has most shaped your view of living an ethical life? Oh, I don't want to be boring, but I have to say uh, Nelson Mandela. I remember um, I'd been to South Africa a few times um, in my life. I'd been there as a young adult, uh, again with my parents, and then twice as an adult. And I lived in South Africa 
um, in my 20s for four, three or four months. And so I watched it go from severe apartheid and to, um, you know, through Nelson Mandela. And I watched Nelson Mandela. And I remember when um, reading and learning more about when he came out and got elected as president and um, he said, I want this to be a free country and I want everyone to be equal. We will go through and we will be post-apartheid together and blacks and whites will be equal. And he was just on this absolutely set journey. And unfortunately, what happened was, is that the tribes, because the, the way of apartheid was, is they pulled, they put tribes, they, they made conflict within the tribes as well. It was all very art, uh, architecturally manifested so that they would never uprise. Anyway, so they started fighting each other and there was deaths and murders and, and riots and raids and, and the amount of deaths actually after he got elected just got worse and worse and worse. And he started to lose a community of support of people who believed in his vision and he asked, people were asking him to stop. It's too much for this country. We can't go there. And he said no. And so I noticed in the writings around that part is that his leadership became really lonely. Um, he believed in his vision and he got extreme opposition. You know, you've got the violence, people being murdered. You know, the people who he was trying to free were being murdered. His supporters were turning against him and saying, you're not doing the right thing, Nelson or Mandela. And, um, and the way that they, what was that nickname they used to call him? Uh, and um, so, and then he was just in that vision tunnel of, like, we can do this and we can do hard things. We can do this. And he lost a lot of support, but he kept on going. And, of course, he ended up getting there in the end and pulled them together with rugby. We've seen the movie and, and did lots of other things that a lot of people thought was ridiculous, but he knew. He had a vision and he just kept on and he didn't lose sight of that. So I feel like he is um, exemplary in ethical leadership. And, you know, and we and, and that, you know, and it's not all glory. It's actually sometimes really hard and messy and lonely. Yes, uh, the uh, the the nickname was Madiba, and uh, that uh, yeah, that I think it's so easy to see Mandela at the end and forget that twenty seven years in Robben Island and uh, just the sheer loneliness and that ability to, uh, to to push through and to still be such a such a beacon of courage. Such an amazing man. He is such an amazing man, and and it's you know that simple story has you know allowed me to go. I can do this. I can do this, and I know that I'm doing the right thing. And um, and you know, in 2015, when I had those sleepless nights, thinking that Give It was going to fail, I thought, you know, you know, there's always just this thing. Is that if I just stay on course, I won't bend the platform to suit that corporate or that corporate. I, this is the model, and then there's a good reason for it. And, uh, and now, thankfully, you know, we've got lots of great national partners and people who donate lots of corporate stock. We've got thousands of individuals who donate a day. So I'm really glad. And I think that, you know, Medina had a part to do with that. You know, he, he's, um, he's made an impact on me. Juliet Wright, OAM, Australian local hero, uh, philanthropist, and uh, hopefully the woman who is going to bring Give It to the world. Thanks so much for taking the time to share your wisdom on the Good Life podcast today. Thank you so much. And thank you for the amazing work that you do for the community and Australia as well. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Good Life, Andrew Lee in Conversation. 
If you enjoyed this discussion, I reckon you'll love past interviews with Michael Trail and Bill Cruz. Also, I want to ask you a favour. On June the 6th, I'll be competing in the Cairns Ironman to raise money for the Indigenous Marathon Foundation. To make a donation, just go to my Facebook or Twitter page to find the link. Thanks in advance. Next week, we'll be back with another inspiring guest to discuss living a happier, healthier and more ethical life.